Well, as I suspected, we've got our new offensive coordinator. What do we make of Will Stein? And who is this guy that wasn't really on the radar going into this announcement? And Justin Flo is in the portal. Eh, it's not all bad. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with all things Oregon Ducks, which is why if you, have, if you haven't already, please continue to like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Omaha Steaks, a gift from the heart, a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. Order with complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com. Use promo code locked on at checkout to get that extra $30 off your order. All righty, we have got our new offensive coordinator. I thought this might be about when the announcement came down. I said as much on yesterday's show because with the transfer portal opening and craziness is abundant and National Signing Day is right around the corner, I thought, yeah, you probably want to have a guy in place rather than just someone to pitch players on or an idea or a concept or a list of coaches you want to have an actual name, a guy in the building who can start making phone calls, talking to players, and all that good stuff. Not sure if he'll stick around with UTSA for their bowl game. They are champs in Conference USA this year. But who is Will Stein? He was not one of the four guys that I talked about as being at the top of my wish list on last week's show going into this hire. Doesn't mean I don't like the hire, because I do. I think from the outset, it looks like Dan Lanning as I said, deserves our respect and our trust. Because I think in Will Stein, he's made a good hire here. Now, for the last three seasons, he's been on staff at UTSA, the first two as the passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach. And then this previous one, he stepped into the offensive coordinator position. He is 33 years young, Feels weird to say 33 years old because, mm, yeah, as we know, it's not very old. So he's just a year older than Kenny Dillingham. Now, there's a clip of him circulating around that, understandably, Oregon fans are watching because everyone wants to know as much as they can about this guy. Of course you do. Want to know what kind of offense he runs, want to know what to expect, what his philosophy is. And now that he had in, in that video, I saw some interesting snippets or quotes about how to approach offense as an offensive coordinator. And a couple things he said that I very much liked, because it's what we wanted Kenny Dillingham to show this year, and I think for the most part we did. First thing I noticed, wants to take downfield shots. And I don't think his offensive philosophy has a name, a theme. It's just what he does. But he wants to take, he said, I think it was between like seven and eight downfield shots a game. That was a welcome addition to the Oregon offense this year because it was sorely missing from last year's team and it was consistently present in this year's offense. And I think it was a big part of why they were so successful. They did a lot of things well. They did a lot of things very, very well on offense this year. But one of them is that when they took deep shots, they were often there and it wasn't just to one guy. 
We saw Dante Thornton get involved. Unfortunately, he's not with the team anymore. We saw Troy Franklin get heavily involved. Chris Hudson had some deep shots. They had explosive plays to tight ends, like uh, like Tiferg in in the game against Oregon State. Cam McCormick or Patrick Herbert was it in uh, the game against Cal? He had the long touchdown. Like a lot of different guys, and and I like that philosophically that you don't have just one weapon to go deep with. You have a number of weapons, and you play within the offense. And I think this guy has the potential, Will Stein, that is, to be that sort of, of offensive skill player. And uh, his quarterback this year at UTSA, which is uh, the University of Texas at San Antonio, their mascot is the Roadrunners, meet me. Their quarterback this year was something like sixth in the country in passing yards. So I, I think philosophically, and he's only been a college OC for one season, but it's more experience than Dillingham had coming in. It's probably going to be a little bit more pass centric than what we had this year. I think this was a pretty even split, though, was based on the run. He appears to be a little bit more pass heavy. However, does not mean that is not a bad thing. I, I think balance is important, though. I respect Mike Leach and the air raid and whatnot. I think there are limitations and too often that offense that if you have better talent can put up just gaudy numbers in a given game. When you're going up against a team that has equal talent, it's a little bit harder because you can be a little predictable in a, in a sense. But if you're, you know, 55, 45, 60, 40 run pass or pass run, I think you're in a great position offensively. Every offensive coordinator is a little bit different in that sense. You know, Dillingham. I don't know how much landing was involved. We'll see if that changes as well. You know, they were definitely more confident throwing the ball, I guess you can say, this year than they were running the ball. I think they're like 50th in the country in rushing, which is not bad. But they were uh, top 15 in a number of uh, offensive statistics this year, top 20 at, at the very least, but most of these top 15. Uh, and, and I'll get to those numbers in just a sec. But the other thing he said, and this is just... Look, maybe it's a little bit of showmanship because he's a coach and he's talking. Most people are watching or listening and such, but it's a great quote. Offense, it's not rocket science. Feed the studs. I'm game. I'm in. Don't make any bones about it. If you've got great players, you have to have a scheme that allows them to succeed. But he also said you have to have great playmakers. And, and what Oregon has that will fit into that philosophy very well are a number of high-level playmakers on offense. Troy Franklin, the tight ends, the running backs, Chris Hudson. You know, we'll, we'll see how the rest of the receiver room kind of pans out, but there are a lot of guys there that can fit into that mold or, or that mindset, I guess you should say, of, uh, of you know, feed the studs, get your best players the football. He said it's not rocket science. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes, and we saw this number of times this year, Coaches outthink the room, and they don't need to. Hopefully, he doesn't. So, uh, this year, he was in his first season as the offensive coordinator at UTSA. They went 11-2. and two. Yeah, that's pretty good. They're the champions of Conference USA. That's also pretty good. They're in the top 25. That's also pretty good. And uh, here are the offensive stats that... Some of you may have seen at this point, but some of you, most of you, probably have not. So I shall read them for you. They were top 20, the Roadrunners, this year. Meet me. Nationally, in terms of passing efficiency, third down offense, 
total offense, scoring, passing offense, and red zone offense. It may intrigue you to know Oregon, statistically, was not very good in the red zone this year because they went for it on fourth down a lot. And they didn't convert all the time, and so that ended with empty red zone possessions, something I've talked about here on the show. Sometimes, Dan, you just got to be able to take points. We'll see if that changes going forward. But of all of those numbers, I, I think there are a couple to highlight more more so than, than the rest, but there is one in particular that stands out that gives me optimism about this hire from a play calling perspective. And my optimism is also shared across your ability to get a good gift this year if you use Omaha Steaks. The holidays are here. Achieving gifting greatness is very possible. And then some, when you give the gift a perfectly aged, tender, and delicious Omaha Steaks, the steak experts at Omaha Steaks have put together special curated gift packages to help take the guesswork out of gifting and make you a holiday hero. Go to omahasteaks.com and take advantage of 50% off site-wide. Plus, use code LOCKEDON at checkout to get an additional $30 off your order. It's a gift from the heart, Omaha Steaks, a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. Order with complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com, 50% off site-wide. Plus, if you use the promo code Locked On at checkout, you get an extra $30 off your order. Minimum order may be required. Go check out my friends over at Omaha Steaks. Really easy to look at those numbers and say, man, I ain't even heard of UTSA. Most of you probably haven't. I had because I played with them at one point in time in an NCAA 14 dynasty. You know, my my head coach, Coach Spencer McLaughlin, got a lot of national championships on there, if I will say. Should have submitted my application to be the OC. I'm sure some of you would have hired me. Dan Lanning, everybody? Yeah, probably not. But, you know, anyway. Um... Most of you probably not heard of UTSA until now. They play in Conference USA. They they've been a good team the last couple of years. I think their stock has you know kind of risen pretty significantly over the last couple of seasons. I, I've even thrown out before, and I still kind of think this. Like if I were George Klyovkov looking to expand the Pac-12, I would add four teams. Like losing USC and UCLA, I'd do what the Big 12 did: add four teams. I would definitely add San Diego State. I would like that Boise State. It's not a big market, but it's a pretty big brand. And then I would go to Texas with SMU and UTSA. Just what I would do if I were commissioner, if I were president, if I had power. But alas, I do not. I can just spew ideas and you all choose to listen, of which I am eternally grateful for. But the number that encourages me the most for for Will Stein here as an offensive coordinator and as a play caller is the third down offense. Because third down on both sides of the ball is a product of two things. Number one, being smart and adjusting to what your opponent is doing. And number two, having success on first and second down. If a third down is eight to 10 yards, it's going to be a lot harder to pick that up than say third and eh, three to five. So what that tells me is that he understands offensively how to get himself into favorable situations. And then when he does need to execute, you've still got to be really sharp, right? And Oregon fans, the, the biggest kind of story to, to relate this to, I don't know if story is the right word, but comparison is when we went from Marcus Arroyo to Joe Moorhead, I think that was an unquestioned upgrade in the offensive coordinator position. And I think the biggest area perhaps 
was the third down play calling. I remember in that 2018 season, you know, after we beat Washington and then had the duds against Utah and Washington State and Arizona as well, what we saw on third down time and time again with Justin Herbert, a quarterback, was it was really predictable what the third down play call was going to be. I mean, it was just kind of predictable in general at times, and it was frustrating to watch. But when Moorhead got there, suddenly Oregon became one of the best third down teams in the country. Part of that was definitely a function of having a good offensive line and being able to run the football, get yourself into advantageous situations based on what happens on first and second down. But still, even if you have a third and three, you can't just rely on your offensive line all the time. I thought Moorhead brought a lot of wrinkles, a lot of creativity, a lot of different formations, and a lot of smart concepts to help Oregon move the chains. So of all those stats that stand out to me, that one is the one where I said, okay, that's really encouraging because it's a sign that you know what you're doing in the first couple of downs. And then when you are in a situational spot and you got to dial up the right play call, your players are well coached enough to be able to execute it and you're sending in the right play. So I, I like seeing that from, from Will Stein in just one year as an offensive coordinator. Now, is he the most experienced guy? No, he's not. He honestly reminds me a lot of Kenny Dillingham. He does. He seems like a young up and coming coach who not long ago, just a few seasons ago, was coaching high school football, but has made his way into the college ranks and has been a coordinator. The difference, of course, Stein has one year of play calling under his belt. Dillingham had none. But they're both in their early 30s. They're both young guys. And I'm okay with that. I understood the mindset of, well, maybe you want to bring in a Dan Mullen or a Tom Herman or somebody like that who's a little bit more of a veteran presence for a young coach. Like, I I get it, but I didn't think it was necessarily essential. I didn't think it had to be that. So I'm okay with him being on the younger side because I think the younger guys tend to be more innovative. You know, doesn't mean that a more veteran play caller can't succeed, right? Moorhead was, you know, pretty veteran when, when he came to the Ducks and I thought for the most part did a very good job, but I think what Stein has showed to get on Oregon's radar like this at a school like UTSA, that is not a big brand is a testament to the coaching pedigree that he has amongst the the network of coaches in college football. So I think this is a good hire. It does kind of come out of nowhere, which is, is on the one hand surprising because when you saw the name, you're like, wait, who? And then you dig into him and you go, okay, yeah, I, I like this guy. However, the fact that it came somewhat out of the blue, like I, I'd read a lot of lists and I'd theorized and looked at candidates and ran through and whatnot, and he didn't pop up anywhere that I saw, is right in line with what we've seen from Dan Landing and the staff all season long. They have been mums the word about injuries, about play styles, about strategy, all that sort of stuff. I remember you got a question asked to him, Lanning did at a presser going into the Utah game about a a schematic X's nose thing. I don't remember specifically what it was, but basically he looked at the reporter and was, of course, respectful because Dan's a good guy and said, yeah, I'm I'm not going to divulge that. I'm not going to say that, but yeah, we're, we're working on it. That is kind of what he's been. That's been their M.O. when it comes to breaking news and storylines and headlines all season long. So 
I don't think it should be a cause for concern that this guy wasn't one of the names that you heard getting floated around from time to time because that's just how they operate. I think that's a sign of running a tight ship, which, remember, is a big part of Dan's responsibility as a head coach, right? He half has to have his team prepared schematically and, you know, player acquisition and whatnot. But the other half of his job as the head coach is being the CEO of an organization, being in charge of it and running it and assuring the details are right. And everyone gets where they need to go. He's got to be in charge of, you know, making sure kids keep their grades up and get places on time. Like there are a myriad of responsibilities that get added to your to-do list when, when you become the head coach and making sure that this stuff, you know, the only the stuff that you want out gets out. We'll leave the Chris Hudson remarks for the speculation, you know, going into the Utah game with regards to Bo Nix. That's part of what you do as a head coach. So not, not surprised that that, that that continued here. Uh, the other upside here with, with Will Stein as the offensive coordinator is he's been in Texas for the last several years and he graduated from Louisville he was a GA and then the quarterbacks coach there. He was at Texas for a little bit, then went over to UTSA. So he's been in the Lone Star State for a long time. For those of us, like myself and many of you, that follow recruiting closely, we know that the Lone Star State has got a lot of really, really good football players. And Matt Pallage has got ties to Texas. Lanning and Lupoy have been there several times over the course of their careers, excuse me, recruiting different players. Now you've got your offensive coordinator with a lot of direct ties to that state. I think anytime you can do that from a recruiting standpoint, it's a really good sign. Biggest question I've got here with Will Stein is the recruiting aspect, though. Anytime you hire someone from the G5 level, I think you can find a lot of great coaches down there. Most coaches at some point in time are primary coordinators or position coaches at a group of five school because that's just, you know, the belly of the beast with broadcasting or with, with coaching, but in, in broadcasting as well, they're very similar in that sense. You find opportunities where you can try to get on people's radars and then work your way up. But still, I, I think it's a legitimate question to be able to ask, and we don't have much of an instinct. I'm going to have John on later this week, and we will talk about that, about what he needs to do recruiting-wise and what his potential could be. But I think anytime you bring someone from that level up to the, the power five ranks, it's a perfectly fair question to ask. What's he going to be able to do on the recruiting front? Yeah, he was able to you know get good enough players to put up points and help his team win a lot of games at UTSA. But doing that against the rest of the Pac-12, which continues to look more and more competitive. And now Coach Prime is over at Colorado. You know, he's going to be recruiting in the portal and at the high school ranks at as high a level as possible. What is Will Stein going to be able to do there? I think at the moment, it's unknown. Maybe John will have a different answer for us. That'll, of course, come later in the week. Um, so Justin Flo is in the portal. I, I can't remember who. It was someone who talks a lot on this particular show said that you shouldn't be surprised if you see his name pop up in uh, the transfer portal. Oh, it was me. Yeah, I, I, I said that. So is it a problem or a concern that a player with the potential of Justin Flo is leaving? I think the answer is no. I also think that we need to pause the pod for a second. Are we paused? Okay, great. Because you got to try this, and I'm talking about Built Bar's new reimagined flavors. Cookie dough topper, coconut brownie bar, 
coconut brownie topper, white chocolate peppermint granola. Tell me, which part of that is not appealing to you? Was it the white chocolate part, the peppermint part, or the granola part? If you don't like any of those three things, again, again I've got my German three here. That's from uh, the other day on the show. Then I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I really, really don't. There will be a time before you try these new built flavors, and hopefully there will be a time after you had all these amazing flavors. I eat them all the time. They're loaded up in my golf bag. They keep me going on the course because they're low-calorie, high-protein, and they taste delicious. Get 15% off your order right now by using the code LOCKEDON15 at Built.com. That's 15% off your order right now by using the code LOCKEDON15 at Built.com. All right, so Justin Flo's career at Oregon comes to somewhat of a disappointing end. Not going to argue with you there. I watched his high school tape. I saw all the scouting reports. I see the sort of physical freak that he is. And it's just fair to say that one of the highest rated recruits in Oregon history, I think he's outdone only by Kayvon Thibodeau, never was able to maximize his full potential with the Ducks. That is a very fair statement to say. He had one great game. It was his first game. And it was against Fresno State. He got ejected for targeting, I think. Maybe that got overturned. He got injured in that game, missed the rest of the season. He just wasn't able to see the field. And I think what happened here with Justin Flo is he has the potential to be a really good football player, but at the moment, he is not. And and as the season went on, he saw the field less and less. And a big part of that, I think, goes back to the unfortunate nature of how his career began which was, they were, it was marred by injuries. He wasn't able to play the first couple of years. He came in the same recruiting class as Noah Sewell, right? In that COVID year, Noah Sewell, when there was no Thibodeau on the field, Noah Sewell was the best defensive player Oregon had. It was supposed to be those two. And last year, it was supposed to be those two, and we only got to see it for a game. And we saw the potential in that Fresno State game. He went crazy. He somehow ends his career, I believe, without registering a sack. Which, you know, for someone of his physical talents seems odd, but is a testament to how little he really saw the field. You know, there was an account, I think it was West Coast Football, said huge loss for Oregon as they lose former five-star linebacker Justin Flo. And no, it's a huge number of stars. It's not actually a huge impact player because he wasn't able, in the eyes of this defensive coaching staff, to earn the right to be on the field consistently. He did not play that many snaps this year. He showed glimpses of it. We saw glimpses of it, I don't want to say frequently, but in the moments we did, it was like, man, whoa, that was a play. There's a tackle he made against Arizona. He diagnoses the run, shoots the gap, gets by the offensive lineman, pile drives the running back into a ground for a one-yard gain when there was a, it looked like there was a little bit of a hole. You look at that play and go, man, that guy could be a really good linebacker. We saw that so infrequently. That you just had to ask the question, what happened? And I think the injuries, unfortunately for him, stunted his development as a football player. Not as an athlete, not as a person, but as a guy who has the ability to diagnose a play, know where he needs to go, and then use his physical talents to go make it. Maybe he just needs a different situation. Maybe that's what it is. That's why he's in the portal. Certainly what he believes it would stink to go against him and then have him make a big-time play. But this is more of an impact in the name 
than the actual impact he had on the field when you're talking about how big of a loss it is for the Ducks. Would I rather have kept him to see if he could have grown into that potential? Yeah, sure. But I think, like, I'm more bummed losing Dante Thornton than I am losing Justin Flo. Because time and again, what we saw this year, because Flo just hasn't played very much football, he has not yet adapted to the college game. And so he was out of position way more times than you can afford to be. And that's just what it was. I don't harbor any will, ill will here. I, I think it's logical for him to seek his options elsewhere. And I don't think it's the end of the world for Oregon. I don't think we're going to be short on talent because I, I think he's a great case study in that physical talent and having a high star rating or a high composite rating on 24-7 is part of the equation but it's not every single variable you need to be an impactful football player. Noah Sewell is the whole package, right? Noah Sewell has those physical gifts, and we saw him make impact plays over and over and over again for the last three years. Guy was everywhere. I mean, you can think specifically of big plays in big games that Noah Sewell made. Fourth and two stop at Ohio State. That was all Noah Sewell. Other guys did their job solidly, but Noah Sewell made the play. Interception against Utah. Interception against Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. He just did a lot of things. I suspect we've seen him play in an Oregon uniform for the last time, but we've seen that with Justin Flo as well. I, I, I think we will be okay, and, and I think there's a lot of talent in, in that linebacker room. You know, look at guys like Devin Jackson, Harrison Tagger, Keith Brown played a lot as the year went on, certainly showed some potential in that front. Jeffrey Bossa is still there, though I I do think Bossa is more well-suited to play what Bennett Williams and Jamal Hill were this year, which is a box safety. I don't know if he's got the speed to be an over-the-top guy, but I think he's a little undersized at the linebacker spot. Conversation for another day, but Justin Flo. It sucks because when you had Thibodeau and then you had Sewell and Flo, you had visions of what that defense could have been. We never got to see it. But now we get to see what Dan Lanning and his staff can do building this defense. All the best to Justin Flo and all the Ducks who are seeking new homes. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.